Hi, this is James Shokin with Web Comics Reviews and Interviews. Tonight we're talking about plotting. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. One of the big problems when it comes to writing comics is having to sit back and actually start writing the bloody thing. And yeah, this is where you see a lot of writers start learning how to swear. Straight up. By page 10, your average writer can swear more better than a sailor. By page 20, the sailors are backing off. Going, dude, get therapy. By page 30, yeah, things are not going to be looking happy. But of course, we push through it and eventually get it done. The key here is that in order to get anything done as far as writing goes, we need to be relatively well organized. I've already mentioned the Bible. Um, you know, you need something to where all your information is easily kept and referenced. When we're talking, you know, obviously you're going to be learning how to outline on your own. I'm going to basically give you some really great tips on how to do some plotting tonight. And then, of course, we'll start looking at a lot of the major details later on. But for now, alright, first off, before you even get going, the obvious book recommends. Uh, two notes. Well, let me give the recommends and give the general history stuff that's going to bore everybody. Alright, first off, Stanley's How to Write Comics. Definitely a must-read must, a must book just simply because Stanley had a lot of fun doing the actual writing stuff. Talks about how the Marvel system used to work, how the system works now, looks at script formats, basic plot twists, that kind of fun stuff. Definitely a mandatory read. Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. Straight up, if you're into comics and you do not have Scott McCloud books in your library, seriously, you really debate your career. I mean, there's a lot of really cool ideas on how to do plots, how to do formats, and generally speaking, how to actually write comics. Uh, some people note that I did not put DC writing comics in here. That's because the DC book is really interesting in terms of how DC does their formats, but they don't really tell you anything of actual interest. Read. It's an interesting book. It's nice to have as part of your library just for reference, but if you can avoid the DC book, do so. I mean, look at it if you can, but, you know, you'll notice I'm being really, really trying to point out that it's a really big debate. Um, Joseph Campbell. Straight up. If you're not up on how the hero's journey works, you need the Joseph Campbell books. Again, it's a must read. If you're heavy into writing and you're trying, you're going to find that you're going to do a lot of stumbling around until you've actually read The Hero's Journey. I just cannot recommend the book enough. There's a reason a lot of people read it and point out it's like the biggest thing they've ever read. Yeah, you're going to find out that a lot of it is stuff you've read in a lot of other places. It's just interesting to see it all put into one basic format and then pretty much explained. And if you're basically trying to do books that escape the standard format, well, you're going to find out real quick that either without that book, you're going to be reinventing the wheel completely by accident a whole lot. So, Hero's Journey, definitely recommend. The other major book to recommend is Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. It's definitely a, movie, a straight movie writing book, but the entire concept was that Blake Snyder 
who's done a lot of really great stuff in terms of write, screenwriting, I said his slush pile, that is his big pile of unusable scripts, and I do mean unusable. We're talking stuff that sci-fi pictures will never use. And when you know it, we're talking about when we're talking sci-fi movies, you know, we're talking Attack of the Set Five-Headed Shark movies. So, if we're talking a movie that sci-fi wouldn't use, yeah. Blake Snyder basically went through and decided to do his own book where he basically decided, hey, what is the stuff that works in the screenplay, what doesn't, and actually put all the stuff into a really great little book. This is one of those indispensable books that's worth reading at least once. And of course, if you're into any type of role playing, especially the tabletop stuff, I recommend looking at any of the uh, books that are specifically tailored towards giving game masters and dungeon masters and all that their specific advice on how to create adventures. It may sound kind of counterintuitive, but a lot of people tend to go into gaming with no idea how to tell a basic story. And, well, obviously with a, what, 40-year history somewhere along the line, somebody got this brilliant idea to say, hey, here's how you write a story. You know, here's your basic plot development, here's your character development, here's how to put together so you actually works out, and so on and so forth. So, in essence, it's, you know, storytelling for dummies. If you don't believe me, arguably one of the best books to look for is the 4th edition Champion Superhero Rules. You can pretty much ignore all the basic rules, but what I sort of advise looking at are what they call disadvantages, which actually goes through and lists out the common problems with superheroes. You know, Superman's kryptonite, uh, Batman's psychological issues, so on and so forth in terms of saying, hey, these are stuff you can actually get points for, but let's look at them. Also, there's a couple chapters in the back of the book that specifically deal with how to set up campaigns. And they look at a lot of the basic superhero tropes. So it's worth looking at just because there's a lot of really great storytelling advice in there. So, recapping just so I'm, we're all on the same page. Uh, Stan Lee's How to Write Comics. Understanding Comics, Scott McCloud. Save the Cat, Blake Snyder. Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. Uh, yeah, there's a really great word to set up as an interview. If you can find that book, you're doing awesome. And Champions 4th Edition Superhero Rules. You know, if you can start off with those books, you're doing pretty good. I'm also going to throw in, if you can find any of the books from the American Film Institute on how to write a screenplay, look at those as well. Again, these are just books that I they're really good to sort of get an idea on how to basically do the whole writing thing. So, I guess I better do the quick boring explanation of screenplay writing, huh? Alright, real quick. The idea behind movies in the first place was to essentially just capture real quick snippets of, you know, what was going on. People kissing, sneezing. The best one yet period that I really wish I was in the audience for was when they actually have a train pulling in. Just because it would be so awesome to see this group of people who have never seen a movie before in their entire life, who have no idea what to expect, all of a sudden have a huge 
train, giant train coming right at them. Even if there's no sound, you know that had to be, you know, you know there were heart attacks in that audience. But the key here is that originally it was just so. Even when we start looking at say, um, Lumiere's Man on the Moon, or sorry, Voyage to the Moon, you don't really see a whole lot of script writing. You just see a lot of individual quick little scenes that were put together just to see what you could do with a film. Well, somewhere between the 1920s and the 1930s, you started getting actual production companies together. And you actually got to start people doing this actual writing thing. Originally, they didn't go to the actual playwrights. They went to journalists. They went to people like... Um, they obviously didn't go to Hemingway, but people that wrote like Hemingway. You know? They were looking for people that detected pulp stories. The reason for this is because a lot of the plays, even though you do have a basic script there, there's a lot of conventions that aren't... The problem is, is there's a lot of stuff that works on a play that just simply does not work in a movie. Look at movies like, say, Twelve Angry Men, The Locker Room, Chorus Line. There's just way too much talk, not enough action. And when we start looking at movies, we need a lot of that action. It just doesn't... You need people talking, you know, pretty much in snippets. You need some action. And, you know, you don't see that in a lot of plays. Even the musicals. So, what, instead of going to playwrights, they went to journalists. And so they took advantage of the journalists, said, hey, here's what I want, and let the journalists go for it. Who, of course, at that point, would work in conjunction with the director to create something. You, if you want to see what this looks like, well, obviously, the first thing you can do is track down a lot of the old black and white movies. The other thing you can do is start tracking down Hong Kong movies. The martial arts movies, besides being a whole lot of fun to watch, are pretty much still in the old Hollywood frame of mind. You know, real short dialogue, lots of action, real basic plot. I mean, it's not real serious filmmaking, generally speaking. I mean, yeah, you've got some really great stuff out there, but in terms of actual writing, if all honesty, if I was going to say it, I almost say I really like American storytelling. But, even though I know how heretical that's got to sound. But, for our purposes, that's, that's screenplay writing in a nutshell. You know, now we're basically looking at, you know, a lot of people look at the real basic camera angles. Um, what's basically happening. And all of this has to be described. So again, if you can look at some of the, a lot of the screenplays, it's not necessarily a bad idea to look at how these are set up, and then realize that you'll be doing an entirely different format. But you're looking more at plot structure. So when it comes to plot structure, you're going to have essentially three separate types of comics. You're going to have the single-page gag comic, your weeklies, and then your long form. The I notice that I'm seeing single page gag comics. If you're heavy into comics, you know that a lot is it's generally called a single panel gag comic. We're looking at Family Circus, um, Bizarro, Far Side. You know, you're looking at basically a single panel, does a really quick joke, 
has a lot of fun. However, somewhere along the line, we also got stuff that's essentially single gag, but it had a whole lot of panels. The webcomic version of this is that really great Gutters comic, which essentially is a superhero riff. It sounds a little weird, but the entire concept is that each each one of these single pages is essentially its own universe. That is, you may see characters get recycled. We know what a far side cow looks like, a far side scientist, a far side chicken looks like, but you don't see a whole lot of character development of those characters in terms of the comic. Uh, gutters, same basic concept. You see a lot of the same characters get a lot of recycled, uh, but you don't see those characters really develop, and there's not a whole lot of plot development past that little page. So, each one of these pages and panels exists in pretty much its own little universe. That's cool. If you want to do that, then obviously a lot of what, I want, a lot of what I'm going to say won't apply to you. Obviously, the next step will be the weeklies. Weeklies is, you know, you see this all the time. Doonesbury, Dilbert. Webcomics-wise, I seriously check advise checking out Penny Arcade and The Company Man. The basic concept is, come Monday, you introduce a problem, let it fester and develop over the next couple of days, and then Friday or Saturday solve it. And there's not a whole lot of long-term character development. Get wrong, there's a, there's, a little, there's a lot, especially if you have a, car- uh, a comic that's around for decades. Look at what's going on with Doonesbury. You know, you had Mike start off in college, have a couple of love lives. He's gotten married, he's had a kid, he's had a divorce, he's found another love, he's had a career. So you, you can't really say there's not a whole lot of character development. It's just more of a natural evolution type of thing than it is actually planned, you know? It's just stuff that happens. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but when we start looking at web comics, some really good examples are uh, PvP with Scott Kurtz, you know? At one point, you actually had two of the characters actually level up, which is great because it's a gaming comic. But, you know, the characters had entirely different character designs. They gained motivations. They had an entirely new set of problems. You've also had characters within the comic get older visibly. You've had the company change hands. You've had it evolve. You've had it get bigger. You had uh, Brent and Jade actually have a interesting little evolving relationship you know so obviously with a weekly you're going to have a plot and long term character development but generally speaking it's just part of the evolution of the comic it's not something that was actually planned all the way back on day one not usually you're always going to have those idiots that are going to prove me wrong so I'm going to beat you to the punch and say yes you can plan that stuff ahead of time but generally speaking it's going to happen more over time than it's going to be planned from the beginning. What we're interested in is the long form. The epics. The oh my gosh, I can't believe how long this thing is. We're not looking at, say, even what I guess you call an extended weekly, like say, Sluggy Freelance or Mega Tokyo, where they have, instead of having a weekly setup, they're set up as a monthly where the entire story arc lasts the entire month and then they usually go to something different. We're talking, all for lack of a better phrasing, we're looking at Lord of the Rings type of stuff. That is, 
this is something that's going to be ongoing for, you know, at least six months to several years, possibly longer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, that's sort of cool. Um, there's some really cool stuff out there. All I can suggest is probably look at... The problem I'm having with recommending is that with Gutters, as a single-page gag comic, it's pretty easy to say, hey, everybody's going to love it because they have enough general information, enough general riffs of the superhero stuff that actually is plenty for everybody. Uh, Penny Arcade is a gaming comic, same as PvP, but they also tend to deal... But anytime you deal with a single-page gag comic or a weekly... You're generally looking at stuff that even though except for a specific situation, there's enough universal stuff in it that usually, you know, everybody gets a laugh at it. When we start looking at the, the epics, we start getting stuff like Cerebus. The story of an aardvark from birth to his death. 300 issues later, you know? We're not talking a superhero comic where it's, even though it's divided into story arcs, you know, yeah, you can last like decades. Just look at, say, look how long Superman's been around. But it's still going to be more episodic over time. You know, they'll have two or three comics, maybe in a storyline that lasts a couple of months. But generally, we're talking the same basic rule of the continuity of the weekly. You know, there's going to be some character growth and plot development over time, but it's going to happen as a natural evolution rather than something that was actually really, really planned for. I mean, we're talking more like, um, you know, obviously, we're talking more like Lord of the Rings type of stuff here. Where there's some really interesting world building, and it goes up from there. You know, we're talking... Uh, all I can say is look up Pamela Harrison. Incredible writer. Uh, Zillia. Z-Y-L-I-A. You know... There's some really fun stuff out there that's actually worth looking into. So, but for our purposes, I'll probably be referring a lot to Lord of the Rings because everybody's familiar with it. So, and for the record, I'll probably be slipping between a lot of movie, you know, talking a lot of movie scripts and a lot of comic scripts. That's fine because there's like a lot in common between the two. So, deal with it. I'm letting you know right off the bat, it's going to be a common error. My apologies in advance, but that's all you're getting. When we start looking at long form, you know, when it's not epic, it's long form, we start looking at variations on the three-act structure. You know, the real quick, everything builds up, builds up, builds up, something happens, the, inc the gaining incident, then it builds up, builds up, builds up again to the climax, and then everything after that is pretty much denouement. So, let's get into it. First off, understand that when we start talk three-act structure, it doesn't have to be just three acts. You want to do a five, seven, nine act, go for it. Nothing's holding you back in that regard. But, do try to keep it at an odd number. Yeah, you've had people do four and six act flip, uh, scripts. Yeah, it doesn't work out as well as they think. Yeah, they think they're going to do something really cool, and then by the end of it, it just, yeah. Don't do it. I'll be nice. Try to keep it to the standard odd numbers. What you're going to need to do is figure out if you want the 
first major decision is how you want this thing to end. Do you want it to be on a positive note or on a negative note? Because if you want to end up on a positive note, your first act will sell it. Same as if you want to end on a negative note. So if you're trying to do some sort of dystopian, dark comedy type of deal, and you want to go on a negative, cool. If, on the other hand, you want to do the, you know, end on some sort of positive, cheerful note, that's cool too. I don't really care. But I am going to show you how to get there. And the way you do it is if you want to do it in on a positive note, the default structure you're going to use, this is the basic three act, are going to be your first act is going to be building a lot of positive, positive, positive stuff until something really horrible happens. Then you're going to have a long chain of bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff until something turns it all around. This is what we call the climax. After that, everything basically starts fitting into place. Until by the end of the comic, you've got bad guys have been defeated, the good guys have gotten their rewards, and the world is a better place. Or, at least it didn't blow up. On the other hand, if you want to go negative, just switch it around. That is, have all sorts of bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff happen until something, they win the lottery or something really cool, positive happens. It's a lot more positive, more positive, more positive, more positive, more positive, more positive. And then all of a sudden something really horrendous happens and everything starts falling apart. You know, sort of like your old movie westerns. And if you think I'm kidding, how many westerns, if you really want some check some fun stuff out, your average movie western is pretty much... You know, guy comes to town, is having a really bad day, his day gets worse, you know, his horse gets shot, he finds out he's got a $500 reward at him, some young punk's trying to kill him, and then all of a sudden he shoots the sheriff, or, and it turns out the sheriff was a really corrupt guy, so the bad, so the guy having a really bad day all of a sudden has a job. He starts getting popularity with a school marm. The reward? Eh, he gets pardoned. He doesn't just get one really cool horse, he gets a whole fleet. And hey, he even gets a wrench out of it. And then of course somebody finds out really bad secret from his past. Finds out who he actually is. And, well at that point, he has to give up the job. He has to run from everybody. And there's about a 50-50 shot of him dying by the end of the movie. You know. That's your basic negative downer plot. This also applies to your dystopians and your dark comedies. So if you start saying, hey, nobody ever ends on a negative note, dude. Read. Watch. Pay attention. But the only thing you need to realize is that there's two scenes that are really important here. That's at the end of your first act, you need the instigating incident. This is the incident that basically gets everybody going on what they're supposed to be doing. Um, Lord of the Rings... Obviously, the major incident is when the fellow get, ship gets sundered. You know, the first act is essentially everybody gets, you know, Gandalf makes sure Frodo has the ring, sends him off with three other friends. They have a couple of adventures, but every time there's something bad's about to happen, they get rescued. Or, it turns out it was just somebody messing with them. Um,. Until, of course, he makes a cross into Rivendell, where they get rescued by Elrond. And, you know, by the water horses. And then they end up in Rivendell. They have this really cool conversation. Everybody's given all this really cool equipment, etc. They set out. 
and Boromir screws up. You know, he decides he's going to take. He decides that he needs the ring more than some weak little hobbit. You know, aka the football. So he tries to make a move for the ring. And of course, it doesn't end up as well because at that point, not only does he totally mess up how he's doing it, but everybody's attacked by the orcs. Boromir ends up with 51 arrows in his chest, and everybody else just scatters to the winds. So, you know, the big incident that set everything up was obviously the center of the fellowship. And when you start analyzing a lot of screenplays, you'll notice that there's a lot of stuff that happens around the same place in every act, or the end of the first act. Um, it's just part of the, the structure. And then, of course, throughout, you... See, the problem is Lord of the Rings is pretty much a bad example of this because it ends up being a little, a little bit more than a three-act play. But... Then all of a sudden, all, a lot of bad stuff starts happening, you know? Uh, Frodo and Samwise have problems getting into, you know, wherever they're trying to do, to Mordor. Uh, there's a time when Frodo gets sick, they find Golem and have to deal with his nonsense, etc., etc. You've got uh, Pippin and Mary have to deal with the sermon stuff. And, of course, you've got um, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas have to deal with all of their stuff, and, but it turns out being a lot of negative because even though they're getting allies and all that together, they're also having to deal with a lot of soap opera stuff. And the soap opera stuff just starts getting bloody annoying. And I don't mean just for us, but for them as well because they find out it's not as easy as they think. They've got an insane king out there. You've got the person in charge of Minas Tirith who's trying to do his own little thing you know and of course you've got Gandalf flitting everywhere and trying to make sure everything keeps steady so you know there's a whole lot of mess in that second act that's generally overall not exactly what you'd call fun times then of course everything starts getting together right about the time of the big battle and I mean the one over in Gondor, not the cool one over at Helm's Deep. You know? you got everybody pulling together. Everybody's figuring out, hey, if we can get together, we can kick some butt. So on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, the insane king gets replaced by, I'm going to want to say his daughter, but don't quote me on that. It's been a while. It's been at least six months. Um... You know, Aragorn actually ends up taking over, and they actually figure out a way to get the frigging ring off to Mount Doom and toss it and get rid of Golem. You know, that's your third act. The climax here is essentially when they get everybody together in Gondor, well, almost everybody. So, and of course, ends up with uh, a lot of people heading out, you know, the fourth age of man starting up so you know that when it comes down to is Lord of the Rings in a nutshell so and more importantly I've just described what's called the A plot the main through line the big main plot for our purposes though we're going to call it the A plot 
The A-plot is the one you actually worry about. You're going to have subplots, you're going to have running gags, but, you know, for the main, the main plot is pretty obvious. That's where all of your main stuff happens. The important stuff, as it were. Obviously, it's going to have your instigating incident. That's where things turn around. You know, you think something really good is going to happen or something really bad is going to happen. It's going to be a counterpoint to the entire first act. Send you in spiraling or climbing into the second act, which will end with a climax. The climax is the big event that, you know, sets everything off. It either pulls everything together or it tears everything apart. After that, it's what's called the denouement. In essence, let's just see how everything plays out, throw a little bit of the rewards or the penalties, and let it go with that. Sometimes you'll see as the movement is really, really short. Um, Star Wars, classic example. You know, you've got everything's really going bad for the rebel bases. It's about to be blown up. They can't figure out what to do because all their ships are being blown up. And then all of a sudden, they hit this climax where Luke basically does a three-point shot, destroys the Death Star, and then ten minutes later, the credits roll. You know, classic short denouement. So, that, when it comes down to it, is a three-act structure in a nutshell. You know, you've got your main plot, which is going to describe all your major beats. You know, you're going to define what's important to the plot, and everything else is going to more or less... Well, not everything else. Like I said, we're going to have subplots. We'll get to those in a sec. Trust me. In fact, we'll be talking about them a lot longer than we build the main plot. But your A plot is essentially all of your important events. You know, if you were to do a history of the movie, of your comic, these would be the ones that all the historians pretty much are the ones that are going to be talking about it. You know, did it quite happen this way? Was this person here? Wasn't that person there? Why was that person not there? These are the stuff that if you had historians in your comic, these are the big events that everybody would be looking at. On the other hand, then you're going to have your B-plots. A.K.A. the subplots. Better known as the moments the fans remember. I mean, sure, everybody remembers the big battles at Helm Keep. Or Helm's Deep, sorry. Um, you know, they remember the big thing... You know, the three-point sh- the torpedo down the mountain shaft type of deal. Well, not mine shaft, but, you know, you get the idea. You know, you everybody remembers the big details. That's your A plot. Your B plot are where things get to have a little bit of fun. Obviously, these are where you're going to have a lot... These are where you're going to have all your romantic stuff going on. Um, you're going to have some of your character development here. You know, you look, if you're basically looking at this as a your standard RPG, these are your side quests. Luckily, you don't have to worry too much about grinding unless you really want to, but generally speaking, these are the stuff that doesn't really matter and you can totally chop off. And yeah, everybody would miss them, but they're not really all that important to the main plot. I mean, sure, you may find that item you need over in the set. See, here's where it's going to get fun. If it's important item for the plot, then it's going to be part of the main plot. On the other hand, 
if it's a item that's only important to one or two characters, you know, then it's, we're talking a subplot. And pretty much everything else is divided the same way. If you can, if you can include it, sorry, if you deleted that particular scene and it affects the main plot, obviously it's not a subplot scene. It's a main plot scene. The main plot is where you're going to hit all your major symbolism points. It's where you're going to have all of, if you were looking at this in terms of the hero's journey, if it applies to one of the beats of the hero's journey, it's a main plot. Everything else is a subplot. You know, you've got the will they won't they couple subplot. You've got the guy who has to return home to grab a necklace just because it looks really shiny or it gives him a particular bonus. But only him. Yeah, it might help him later on and defeat the bad guy, but actually, no, sorry. If it helps him defeat the bad guy, well, that little quest of his just became a main plot or part of that main plot. If, on the other hand, it only gives him a bonus and it only allows him to kill off a minion, hey, you've got a subplot. The basic difference is, like I said, all of your main action is going to happen over your main plot, the A plot. Your B plots are going to be more of... See, if it develops a plot, main plot. If it develops a character, it's a, C, it's a B plot, the supporting the subplots. Have I totally confused you yet? Good. The B plots or the subplots are going to be where you start dealing with the romantics, when you start doing the character development stuff, you know. The heroes have some psychological flaws that you need to deal with. You know, well, when he goes and saves the orphanage, that's probably part of the B plot. The key here is that these plots tend to be, even though they're not quite as metaphorical as stuff that happens in the main plot, they do have their own little cool little things going on. You know? These are stuff that really great for the fans. That is, whereas the main plot serves the general audience. When you start looking at the a little bit of the more world building, character development, romance type stuff, that's going to be more of a, a subplot or a B plot. Generally speaking, you're going to have two or three of these running around. You know, if we're looking at say, again, going over to Lord of the Rings, to a certain degree, the Merry and Pippin thing over in Isengard with Saruman. Generally speaking, that's a subplot. You know, you've got really cool things happening with Mary and Pippin. Even though they do find out some really important stuff later on. Generally speaking, it's pretty much all subplot. Important stuff, yeah, but it's more of all of that's, you know, building up stuff for the those particular characters. And it's more fan stuff than anything else. Um, anything pretty much that happens with Frodo and Samwise, main plot. Again... You're building up stuff for the, what's going to end up happening with the One Ring, and the One Ring is basically the MacGuffin that sets everything else off. So that's how that boils down. On the other hand, all the stuff that happens with Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. Or, I want to see Gimli. Um, again, subplot. You've got some really cool character building stuff that's because it's starting to build up Aragorn, who's going to be taking over as the king. And they need him set up as the king by the end of the movie. So, anything that happens with those three characters is pretty much a subplot. There are a few exceptions here and there, but, you know, you can pretty much cut out 
anything having to do with anybody but Frodo and Samwise and the rest of it and you know it doesn't really matter it's cool stuff that happens but it's not really all that all that important not to the main plot anyway you see where I'm sort of going with important to main plot main plot stuff that can be easily cut off and nobody will miss it subplot however let's complicate this by having and let's complicate this by having good old C plots these are things that are for lacking a better phrasing returning metaphors they're just stuff that keeps popping up that's sort of cool but doesn't really you know doesn't necessarily have to have its own little plot line it can actually be a, a series of scenes you know they have pretty much nothing to get together but they do tend to have a little bit of a running some sort of theme again Lord of the Rings the Legolas uh, Gimli type of little thing where they trying to keep you know doing a little bit better than the other with the archery contest and the or you know you know the whole yeah that only counts as one that thing that's a straightforward running gag it's fun it adds a little bit to the story but let's get real it's completely extraneous you know if you have a character who keeps going off and trying to get drunk or get laid again running gag character trying to get rid of his virginity and we're not talking as a teen sex company yeah at that point we're still talking running gag um the classic example as far as i'm concerned is the, from the movie action jackson because from the beginning of the movie up till the climax they've got this one kid that well every time he involves himself with the police they usually point out that oh yeah wait till he meets action jackson then he'll be totally screwed this of course culminates when he actually does meet action jackson and faints you know at that point we're about to hit the climax it's time we get rid of the running gags and let's get into the actual movie itself so or at that point it's just you know we're looking if you can see action jackson go for it it's a really great movie I'm not going to say it's an Oscar winner by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just one of those fun movies that's sort of fun to watch. And it's got pretty much everything you'd want in a movie. It's got some solid plot, solid character development, and of course, a running gag that rocks. So, but you can also set up as a group of individual teams with some sort of theme to them. You know, if you're trying to show that everybody has something they're fighting for uh look at the movie armageddon at various parts of, i mean yeah you've got that one you know right before everybody takes off you've got that where everybody goes out and they show you what they're fighting for but you've also had that expressed throughout the entire movie you know you've got some of the characters have been talking back and forth to the homes and so at the same so you've got showing them you know dealing with their family stuff you know saying goodbye to the families at the end of the movie they're celebrating with the family technically that counts as a c-plot totally extraneous but it builds up on the movie when we start looking at comics well you've got the dreaded parker luck where spider-man cannot get a break to you know save his life i mean obviously that's changed in the last couple of years but the parker luck is definitely worth looking into you've got superman and his secret identity problems um 
you know, even when we start looking at, say, Jimmy, we, Jimmy Olsen, you know, he's, they keep coming back and forth with mentioning stuff that's happened in, the, in his past, you know, Turtle Boy, classic example, um, they've had a lot of really cool little running gags with Jimmy Olsen. In webcomics, you've got situations that keep showing up, you know, sluggy freelance, you've got Torg's incompetence. Sometimes it'll just show up as in somebody will mention something that happened from this way past. And it won't have a payoff for another couple of, um, you know, a couple of installments. Where they actually show what he actually did. It's hilarious. Um, again, stuff that's totally extraneous to the main plot is a, is a running gag or a C plot. Notice how we got that cute little hierarchy there? Main plot is your A plot. Your sub important subplots, B plots. Anything else? C plot. See how hard that is? So, when it comes down to your plot, you're gonna to want to set it up as a three act structure. You're gonna and it's gonna have if you wanna have it in negatively, you're gonna to have to have build it you know, lots of bad stuff happen until something really cool happens. That's your instigating incident. Then Nothing but positive, and then you're gonna hit a climax where it all falls apart, and by the end of the comic, you know the world's destroyed, either figuratively or actually. On the other hand, if you wanted to have end on a more, slightly more upbeat note, flip it around. Lots of bad stuff, ha or sorry, lots of good stuff happens, instigating incident where it all falls apart, and keeps falling apart for a little while. Then all of a sudden it comes back together in the climax and you end up with a diminuement where everybody gets the rewards. You know, the bad guys get punished, the good guys get whatever they wanted, and the world is saved, or at least not blown up. You notice how, by the way, we placed this, the two, you know, in a positive movie, the negative, sorry, the instigating incident is where it blows apart, whereas in the positive one, the instigating incident is where everything... Or sorry, let me reverse that. <laughs> I knew I was going to screw that up somewhere. In the negative movie, your instigating incident is essentially where everything comes together. On the other hand, instigating incident in a positive movie is where everything falls apart. When you hit the climax, that gets reversed. In a negative movie, everything falls apart. Whereas in a positive movie, in a comic everything basically starts coming together. I told you I was going to screw up comic and movie a couple of times. Like I said, there's a lot of similarities when it comes to... So, um, you're going to want to throw in at least two plots. Uh, the romantic is pretty much a default. Um, having characters build up, you know, get a little bit better, training, montages, that sort of thing. Technically, that's all subplot. Again, if it's important to the main plot, it's a main plot. If it's not important to the main plot, but it's still an important thread that has to happen, even if it runs parallel to the main plot, it's a it's a subplot. And of course, you have these cute little running gags that are basically just you as a writer just having a little bit of fun. You can poke fun at the story. You can have characters just doing weird things just to see what the characters can do. That sort of thing. Every character should have a chance in the spotlight. Running gags give you know, your tertiary character is a chance to do exactly that. So, yeah, 
if you get all that stuff straight, you'll be ready for when we start having a little bit of fun with it. That's the basics of plotting. And, real quick, that list of books I gave you at the beginning, Stan Lee's How to Draw Comics, Scott McCloud, Understanding Comics, um, Blake Snyder, Save the Cat, Champions 4th Edition Superhero Rules, and of course, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. If you can find the one that's basically a transcript of him with Bill Moyer, I believe it is, so much the better. So, with that, track those books down, read them, and have a good evening. Talk at you later.